This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need, even and maybe especially when we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic and there are not too many sports actually taking place outside of our homes. Our heartfelt wishes of health and safety go out to the world right now. We're thinking a lot about those in precarious economic positions who can't afford to distance, to stay at home, or to access health care. I'm Brenda Elsie, Associate Professor of History at Hofstra University. And this week, I'm joined by all my co-hosts, Shereen Ahmed, freelance writer and sports activist in Toronto, Canada, and ideologue of the toxic femininity charge, the brilliant Dr. Amira Rose Davis, assistant professor of history and African-American studies at Penn State University, Jessica Luther, Baker, phd and author of Unsportsmanlike Conduct, College Football and the Politics of Rape in Austin, Texas, and the unsinkable and whip-smart Lindsay Gibbs, sports reporter and founder of the amazing newsletter on women's sports, Power Plays. On this week's show, we're going to discuss anti-trans athlete bills, specifically in Idaho, and the NFL free agency, and perhaps future draft madness. And Jessica has an important interview with cultural anthropologist Dr. Adia Benton about COVID-19 and sports. But before all that, now that we're on the internet all the time, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, all extra all the time, I wanted to ask about things that sort of, I don't know, either struck you funny or ridiculous or, or tweets that you saw that, you know, sent you into some sort of like relaxing laugh place. Jessica, you got anything? Yeah, I do. So I'm going to I'm going to read you this tweet that I saw and it's really serious until it's not. And I will explain it. So let me just read it. My dad's test just came back positive today. Mom getting tested tomorrow. I saw them less than two weeks ago. So now monitoring my health more closely. They're 65 plus. So I'm pretty terrified, even if they seem to be doing all right so far. Apologies for tweeting this as a celeb penis. Because the person's account is John Ham's penis. <laughs> so I tried to look up whether or not their parents are doing okay. And it was really hard because they're still staying on topic. And there's just a lot of penis material on the Twitter account. So that made me LOL, even though I, I really hope that their parents are okay. <laughs> wow. Amira? Yeah. Well... Part is one is not really a tweet. I just want to give a shout out to everybody who was up in club quarantine <laughs> last night, and especially for DJ D Nice, who somehow has been doing this for multiple days, but yesterday did this for over eight hours, like multiple hat changes. It was just like all of black Twitter. It was such black joy, and then it was like people who just like black people, and then as things tend to happen, 
<laughs> like we're like trendsetters. And so then it was brands. So the net- Netflix was there. The NBA came in, like every presidential candidate, um, well, Democratic <laughs> ones. Elizabeth Warren like tweeted, nevertheless, we dance or like did that on IG Live. I cracked up. So yeah, so it was, but it was really fun. Like uh, Jackson tried to battle him. And I was up way later than I thought I would be drinking and dancing in my kitchen. So I'm a little hungover. So shout out Club Quarantine. And there was no guys groping you. It was the best of both worlds. (laughs) But really, my favorite tweet was actually a TikTok that was then put on Twitter by um, David um, Kasprak, where it starts with Adele song, Someone Like You. And it's from her live performance. And it's just like one gummy bear. And then it's like everybody. And he pans around the living room as everybody starts singing. And there's just gummy bears everywhere. (laughs) You maybe have to see it to really appreciate the effect. But it's been making me smile. (laughs) Shireen? I have been thoroughly enjoying the different sportscasters doing workouts from their living room. Shout out to Serge Ibaka, who's been fabulous in providing. My friend Christopher Curtis in Montreal has been doing remakes of movies with his cat, Ulysses. And his handle is Tito Curtis. And Ulysses is this beautiful ginger cat. And just awesome. And uh, Chris hasn't been feeling great, but is in self-quarantine. And just he's raising money just stuff like that is very uplifting for me like I just I really I really love it and in addition to that I think there's a lot of fun things happening like if we look for joy people are really great but the one thing that I came across that really wowed me wowed me was Alicia Nachomovitz who was a French marathoner the man ran a marathon on his balcony on his balcony and yes, yeah, he yeah, ran yeah, a marathon. So he spent six hours and 48 minutes running 42.2 kilometers around the seven meter balcony of his apartment in Toulouse. So I, wow, I, marathoners I are a different breed. I took a shower on Thursday and I'm like, I'm good. I can retire now. Like, I mean, I, I worked out and showered. I'm like, I'm done. This man ran a marathon. So I find it uplifting, but at the same time, I'm kind of salty because I'm not as productive as I think I need to be, but that's okay. Um, anyway, man ran a balcony, like literally ran a marathon. I Wow. That's, that's all I got. Lynn? Yeah, for me... There were two tweets, one of which I think Brenda will <laughs> shout out. Yeah, I got that. Uh, the yeah. other, which was somebody who really has never made me laugh or smile, but Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback who like three days into quarantine <laughs> posted this video on the Pittsburgh Steelers account. It he looks like he has been in quarantine for two years. His his face is so puffy and he has these like blunt bangs across the top that look like um the owner of the oakland raiders what's his name um david mark david yeah and then he his beard is i mean we're talking beyond sorry i looked it up i looked it up (laughs) we're talking beyond (laughs) caveman like it is so big he looks awful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's sort of like hipster gone terribly bad. 
Almost. Gone terribly bad. And it just brought me so much joy because I was, I'm feeling very ugly in quarantine. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, it, we're the beginning of this and I'm in need of a haircut and eyebrows done. But seeing Ben Roethlisberger made me feel very pretty. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I was- this last one, the tweet that made me laugh this week also comes from someone who usually doesn't make me laugh or smile, which is Mike Huckabee. <laughs> and I have to credit all of my co-hosts for, for bringing my attention to this. I think especially Linz, who as a Southerner in particular, felt really moved by this particular um, tweet. And it's his advice to all of us who are struggling. <laughs> Mike Huckabee says, Those of us from rural South, which I guess is also somehow racially coded as not Atlanta or something, those of us from rural South know how to toilet paper shortage. (laughs) Eat more corn on the cob, exclamation point. (laughs) The corn isn't important. Buy food, but the cobs, (laughs) oh fuck, I can't. (laughs) <laughs> I'm crying. Okay. The corn isn't important, but the cobs are free and work great. <laughs> now, here's the best part Governor Huckabee is worried about what you're going to do with that cob. And he says, just don't flush them. <laughs> Who's your audience, Mike Huckabee? <laughs> And then, as if he is, Mother Teresa, he ends it with, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Okay. So. And especially for you, we'll we'll send out a video of Brenda discovering this tweet (laughs) in real time. Because I am so, I really would like to see his instructional video on how he uses those cops. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this week, there's been a number of nefarious legal and policy decisions that seemed like they were slipping through as we've all been really concerned with the pandemic that we're facing. And one of those is another one in a series of anti-trans athlete bills. Lindsay wrote about it in Power Play. So, Lindsay, I wondered if you could intro us into this discussion. Yes, thank you. So I also did, in addition to writing about this for Power Plays, I did a hot take segment with on the Burn It All Down feed with Ashlyn Johnson, the founder of Inclusion Playbook. So you can go back and listen to that. But this is such an important topic that we want to cover it on the main show as well. So there's about, I think, 18 anti-trans bills that are being pushed through legislatures all across the state that all specifically target sports participation for trans youth right now. A lot of state legislatures are shut down right now or only prioritizing the coronavirus because, you know, national pandemic, international pandemic and, and everything. But Idaho is committed to its bigotry. So the bill that I wrote about this week is called HB 500, which is dubiously called the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. And it would require anyone participating in girls sports whose gender is questioned to undergo hormone level monitoring, chromosome analysis, 
and an inspection of the athlete's internal and external reproductive anatomy in order to participate in sports. Obviously, these are incredibly uh, intrusive procedures. And remind you, we are talking about youth and school sports. These are kids that would be subjected to this. So this bill uh, right now, it's so urgent because it actually passed through the Idaho legislature this week, and it's currently sitting on the desk of Idaho Governor Brad Little. We might know by the time you're listening to this episode whether he has vetoed this bill, which is what there is a campaign to do. Once again, listen back to the episode with Ashlyn for information about how, how you can help with that campaign. They know, Idaho knows that if they push this bill into law, that they will be sued, but they're willing to, it seems, spend millions of dollars defending this in court, defending this bigotry. There's just the National Center for Transgender Equality sent out an open letter signed by a lot of organizations this week, and I just want to read one of the top parts. It says, Despite the bill's stated intent to protect and promote girls' sports, this bill would compromise access to sports for many vulnerable youth while doing nothing to support young athletes or to address real threats to girls' sports. The bill blatantly targets an already marginalized community in athletics and decreases their participation in sports. Transgender youth already participate at significantly lower rates and already feel unsafe in athletic spaces. So just very briefly, the um, in terms of the cost, I found it amazing that they just discussed openly, we know that we'll be sued. And I do want to like just say that the Republican representative that sponsored the bill, Barbara, I'm not sure how I say it, Arat, Arat? Who, who does work in the Idaho legislature, has been using Title IX over and over and over again to argue that somehow trans girls and women athletes are negating Title IX. That's what she said. And so I just, I just want to sort of name her by name and say that particular Republican legislator is making that argument. Jessica, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about athletes. Yeah. Well, I wanted to re-up. Like watching, I, really, right? I really appreciated Lindsay's hot take with Ashlyn Johnson. And I thought that Ashlyn had this amazing point about, you know, the women and what was the name of the bill again? Women, fairness, fairness for women in sports. And, yeah. Yeah. And then Ashlyn made a really good point that we are literally in the middle of a conversation right now around the U.S. Women's National Team and just female athletes around the world about what we w- need and want for fairness and equity in sport. And it's not this. So it's not like it's a secret <laughs> what it is that women are asking for in order for there to be fairness. And I just thought that was such a good point. I did, I was just, I don't know why. I am I mean, I live in Texas and I'm well aware of Republican legislatures that don't give a shit, but just sort of how this is three, there were three anti-trans bills that they put up um, in Idaho this session. And at least two of them, including this one that we're talking about right here, the attorney general of Idaho is like, these are unconstitutional, <laughs> like, or that she's worried that, or that the 
AG is worried that these are unconstitutional things that they're just putting forward. Um, and maybe that's the point. Maybe they want to push them through the courts and and somehow work on the constitutionality of these, but just sort of the the level of bigotry and bravado around that will always stun me, I hope, because it is just shocking that, you know, they're saying that HB 500 violates the 14th Amendment of our Constitution, and yet these people are so committed to this in a time of global pandemic that they're still meeting and voting this through. And I'll just always be shocked about that. Amira? Yeah, and not only is it (laughs) being rightfully called unconstitutional, but also a lot of people are speaking up about even how there are making the arguments, in particular, a Duke law professor whose work is quoted three times in the bill has been on record saying that the the sponsors misused her research. And she is part of a letter that's calling on the governor to veto the bill and saying, this is not at all what my research is saying about this. And, you know, I think that, you know, to the points that were made, and we've talked about this in burn piles and and certainly want to also direct you to episode 95 where Jessica interviews a friend of the show, Katie Barnes, to talk about their work on this topic and the inclusion of trans athletes in sport. But a point that we've made over and over and over again that is not just about hurting and, and barring these youth athletes, these trans athletes, but it's a political message that are is really targeting um, trans people's it's like the bathroom bill has become political sport and the fact that in this moment this is still a priority um, tells you that sometimes the hate is the point and it's just it's so disgusting Shireen yeah thanks I wanted to just sort of circle back to something that I come back to a lot one of the people who has really helped me unlearn what I knew about trans folks is Caitlin Burns Um, someone I consider a really good friend. And she had a thread about just, she does a lot of work about trans women and these type of bills anyway. And she has one particular thread that we will add to the show notes. And what she does is she talks about trans athletes and, you know, the first of only trans women to compete in an Olympic qualifier finished in 230th place. So what this, thread is basically doing and she's really great at sort of helping us along and understanding is she what she's doing is highlighting and i'm quoting her directly is to counter media disinformation campaigns that turn every slight athletic achievement by a trans woman into a global transphobic storyline which is exactly what the bill of this bill in idaho is based on that you know trans girls will have this massive advantage and that doesn't like the studies and the data don't actually show that that's not actually true. So I think this is really important to keep in mind and, you know, just how the narrative is, is constructed to be very much against, against women in general. And getting back to something that Lynn said, I am gutted and infuriated, but this particular bill is talking about kids. It's talking about youth. It's talking about young girls. Like it's so upsetting to me that this is what's happening. Like, I, I, I don't know how someone can just, I just, it's not even about parents tolerating this kind of thing, but how can, as a society, can you target kids? I'm sorry. This is just, it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. Lynn? Yeah. I just want to reiterate. I think if you're listening to this podcast right now, you care about girls and women's sports and, One of the reasons it is imperative for those of us 
in this community to speak out about this at every turn is because they are using women and girls sports and the protection of women and girls sports explicitly as violence against the trans community in this case. And so I really think silence is violence in this case. Um, And it's, I know it's hard right now. There's so much on all of our minds. I mean, you know, there's so much daily stuff to just uh, think about, and it can feel like your voice doesn't carry any weight on any issue. But if the women and girls sports community does not speak out against this, then people from both parties, because there are, it's, it's important to say that there are some states that are, have Democratic governors who are also trying to push through these bills. This is bipartisan bigotry. And this community needs to be much louder. I need more from the Women's Sports Foundation, who I know has done some, but we all need to be louder and make sure that you are not using the name of women and girls sports to discriminate against trans youth. It's just not acceptable. And I'm, um, you know, I'm burning it all down. We want to continue to call on our listeners and our community to speak out and to fight against this. Now, Jessica's interview with cultural anthropologist, Dr. Adia Benton, about COVID-19 in sports. They talk NBA and the scarcity of tests, whether the Olympics should and if they will happen, and what we should expect in terms of sports returning. Hello, flamethrowers. Jessica here. I'm joined today by Dr. Adia Benton, a cultural anthropologist who studies global health, biomedicine, development and humanitarianism, and professional sports an associate professor at Northwestern University. Dr. Benton studies patterns of inequality in the distribution of and the politics of care in settings socialized for scarcity. This means understanding the political, economic, and historical factors shaping how care is provided in complex humanitarian emergencies and in longer-term development projects like those for health. Her first book is titled HIV Exceptionalism, Development Through Disease in Sierra Leone and it was published in 2015. It explores the treatment of AIDS as an exceptional disease and the recognition and care that this takes away from other diseases and public health challenges in poor countries. She's working on a second book about the global movement to improve access to quality surgical care in poor countries, using it as a case study for describing and understanding ideological formations in global public health. We thought of her immediately when brainstorming who to talk to about COVID-19 and sports, Welcome to Burn It All Down, Dr. Benton. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for inviting me. So I thought we could look back first, and I wanted to get your assessment of how you think different sports leagues or organizations around the world have responded to COVID-19. Like, Is there a good example? Is there a bad example? How are you thinking about this? You know, it's funny. Like, I keep revising my assessments every time I hear about a different... <laughs> sporting situation, right? So, you know, I kept going, you know, when I first started talking about this, I was like, oh, tennis did a really great thing canceling Indian Wells so Mm. early. But there were a lot of people who were like, they're just moving 
the Labor Cup. They moved Roland Garros without telling anyone. Yeah, um, they did. So, right. So I was, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, so maybe they suck in some ways. And um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> these are different organizations, too, right? So and this, you know, there was a very specific local context to Indian Wells being canceled fairly abruptly. And that was because California is on a, you know, a lockdown. Um, but, you know, so tennis did okay on, in some respects, not so okay in others. I think the European partners seem to be a little bit more frightened. Yeah, that's interesting. I do want to talk about the NBA. This league has been at the forefront, I think, especially in North America, but I think even beyond that, in the discussion of sports and the COVID-19 crisis, seems like it's very important that the NBA sort of shut everything down very quickly. I wanted to hear what you thought about Adam Silver's decision to just indefinitely, or I think they suspended for 30 days before they then sort of said, you know, indefinitely suspending it. But I also wanted to ask you about the testing, because this has been a real hot button issue. And I've seen, so for anyone who doesn't know, I'm at this point, but it was at the Utah Jazz or at the Oklahoma Thunder. They canceled the game before it started. Uh, Rudy Gobert, jazz player, was diagnosed with COVID-19. It's since there are multiple players now, I don't know, 10? Like, there's a fair amount that have tested. Yeah, that have tested positive. And one of the things is that they're buying the test privately, is my understanding, that the NBA and the teams, and they're testing everyone, which is, I think, good. Everyone should be tested. and But then everyone's wondering, like, at a time when the general U.S. public doesn't really have access to a lot of tests, is this okay? Adam Silver, again, the commissioner, he has defended this basically by saying, point the fingers at the U.S. government for not having tests, don't point it at us for, for paying for them. We're, so I wanted to get your take on how quickly silver moved as far as ending the season, but then also what are you thinking about all of, of these tests? Right. This is, so this one's super complicated, but also not right. So, <laughs> so yeah, Adam silver for having um, a bit of a, of a backbone on this in the sense that like, yes, shut it down, really sort of take sort of be a leader in just saying bucket shut it down. Right. But those original, those first tests were actually not privately funded. Oh, they, oh, they weren't. That's right. right. The Oklahoma ones weren't. Exactly. Yes, tell us about that. <laughs> and, and, and so, so that's the first piece. The first piece, and that was actually pretty shocking. So we're talking about a time when on average, a state was doing 55 tests a day. They did 58 in Oklahoma. The state the health department did 50 process 58 tests. And I, from what I read, and I'm not sure if this is really true, the timeline doesn't sound exactly right, but it took them six hours to do it. Wow. <laughs> wow. It, it was probably more like 24, 12 to 24. But let's think about it like this. Gobert's testing went through that mor- Wednesday morning. That game was Wednesday night. The team doctor rushes out on the court and says, hey, we can't play this game. So we're talking about, tw- you know, no more than 12 hours on that day, but every, and so 58 people. So we're saying, let's, let's just assume that's, you know, the team, what is that? 15, 20 people, coaching staff, people who probably touch trainers, players, trainers. Right? Yeah. And I think yeah, they yeah. said some other, they are the three sort of up uh, three other people who are kind of on the cusp of that circle. You have to wonder who wasn't being tested amongst the contacts of these folks. 
you like drivers, cleaners, and so on and so forth. But also thinking about who else in Oklahoma was not being tested that day. Yeah, because they were testing the Utah. Right. Jet. I mean, yeah. their their maximum daily capacity at that time to process tests was something like a hundred. Wow. So. You know, so of course people are pissed about <laughs> what this looks like because they were not privately funded. They were um, very much about state capacity. You know, there are people who say, well, how do we know that there were even that, that many tests to do in Oklahoma? Well, they were rationing. Everybody was rationing and continues to ration. And we obviously know that there's, we know that there's COVID in Oklahoma because COVID is in Oklahoma. Um, and so, it, I mean, but the, but the thing is, it also allowed, I mean, to, I'll say to be fair with some, you know, just to give a little bit of latitude, to be fair, this was a known case and you want to test all of the con or many of the contacts of a known case, close contacts of a known case. He was not feeling well, but there, you know, clearly something else is going on too. I'm glad that all of these people are being tested privately now, but we still are dealing with this problem more, you know, this, this sort of bigger problem of logistics and health departments being able to test people. The NBA, great for them shutting everything down. Weird how they handled this testing situation. But of course, you know, I think, yeah, ultimately what we see is that it can function. Public health can actually function if, there, if the tests exist. Right? Like Good if, point. if we know, and that, and that sort of, you know, I think that's one thing that was proven. I think what we also saw though, was that, you know, these sort of privileged circles were the only ones to make the system work. So that, I mean, I think that's, that's why people feel some unease about what the NBA was able to do. But I think it's, it's because we see what's possible. Right. But we also see that it's not possible for us. Right. That's a really good point. So let's look forward now. And I'm going to ask you the question that I'm sure you're suspecting. Should the Olympics be canceled? And will they be canceled? Ah, I think they probably should be canceled, given that our, you know, so basically, even if Japan is able to bring down their cases right now, to this point where it's manageable, what they're going to struggle with is people coming from all over the world with as potential new transmitters of the virus, right? right so that's right. one thing. But then there's also the issue that a lot of us won't be able to travel. You know, I was a lot of us are not going to have our outbreaks under control in time. I mean, how a lot of these, uh, a lot of the sports that are going to have events in the Olympics can't have their qualifying tournaments right now. You know, so so how fair is that for how fair is that for countries that might be experiencing or dealing with um, outbreaks? So, you know, I think it probably should be canceled. Olympics, as you well know, are disruptive to the countries where they are, the communities where they they're located in many ways that are are detrimental or can be devastating to communities. Um, That was certainly true for Tokyo Olympics in the 60s. And this would be no different. I mean, everyone's worried about the economic losses, but that's kind of where we are everywhere. I think that's actually one of the bigger issues is who can be prepared? How fair will it be? Who will be able to convene in that site? But still, like, like you say, 
their claws are in. They're, they're digging in. They're digging mm-hmm. their heels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I bet they can. They could probably come up with a way that it would work, right? They'll probably say, "Oh, we're screening everyone. We will have you know people have to sit three seats apart." <laughs> yeah, athletes <laughs> will not be in contact with each other. Yeah, right. Oh my gosh, that's such a huge right. issue at the Olympics. It's also interesting to think. And just about NBC itself is like, they must be freaking out as well. And I'm sure putting their own pressures right, all right. over this. Well, they're losing They're I mean, I can't imagine how much they're losing. Yeah. On, I mean, for so, so many sport sporting events, I mean, all, all of everyone's, but that's again, what I'm saying, everyone's losing here. The spectators, the fans, we just don't have our entertainment. We're locked down. We don't have anything to watch. It's true. My son the other day mentioned that I was watching a lot of competitive reality shows. And I was like, wow, that's so astute. I feel very seen and judged a little bit (laughs) (laughs) in this moment. But yes, I think I'm compensating. Um, Some kind of competition. I know. It's (laughs) true. So Shireen wanted me to ask you about when this is all over, or at least when it dips really far down or we get a vaccine or whatever the moment is where we're sort of on the other side of this, like how long and and what will it look like as far, like how long will it take and what will it look like for the recovery of sports, like economically and socially? Like what will that, what should we expect as, as fans, as outsiders, like when we're watching this, will it take a really long time to get everything rolling again? What are you imagining? So, yeah, I think it depends on how well folks can keep the sort of back in running. So, you know, when I was thinking about the NFL, like, what is their training going to look like? What's baseball's mm-hmm. training going to look like? I know. Ba- That's interesting. Ba- yeah. Right. Baseball might be, actually, baseball might be able to pull this together because they're outside and not really that close to each other. Oh, <laughs> fair. Except, except for in the dugout, right? It's funny how to watch, to think about sports this way, though, to be like, how close do you ever have to be to someone? Yes. <laughs> like, I've been playing tennis every week you know, under these lockdown conditions, because, you know, my coach is like, you don't have to see me. You don't have, <laughs> like, I'm on the other side of the net. That's true. We don't have to communicate. We don't have to communicate. You can hit hmm. the ball. And so I think that's the the sort of the thing is how well the back, how, how well stocked, how well supplied the back end is, right? So how much training can happen, how much recruiting can happen how deep the pockets are of the organization to keep people doing what they have to do until they can actually put them back on the court in the field, whatever, right? They may try to modify the spectating experience, right? Like if you want to watch basketball now, maybe you just have to pay a subscription fee. I know it sounds kind of dystopian. Well, it sounds like being a WNBA fan. That's what it sounds like. So maybe all these men will get used to, or all these people who aren't women sports fans will finally understand. Uh, you know what? Maybe this is the big equalizer. Like maybe this yeah. is going to be the equalizer is that we're going to end up having to kind of see what it, you know, the, the men are going to have to actually see what it's like. And this is what I was saying with the NFL. Like they're not holding their annual league meeting. It's because some People who aren't used to being uncomfortable are uncomfortable. They're afraid to be next to each other. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's about the back end. You know, when scouts can't go and look at new new folks to field, that that's probably going to change a lot of things, right? Like, are you going to have to watch more tape? <laughs> You're going to be making a lot of different kinds of gut 
decisions about who fits on a team. It's so, yeah, so I guess it depends on the sport, but I'm hoping that we, I'm hoping that we get our sport. <laughs> this is sad. I, I'm, I'm self, feeling selfish. I'm hoping we get our sports back by the end of the year. End of the, seeing, end of the end year. Of the year. Wow. Yeah. Does that seem too late or too early? That just <laughs> seems far away. It I mean, I really want, far away. you know, I want people to be healthy much more than I want sports, but still, what do you think this means? I mean, Shereen also asked me like, what does this mean for rec leagues or more community based sports that people are playing? What will it look like when this is over and that's getting back up because they don't really have the back end right no we don't and I say we because we coach a soccer team little you know for small kids mm. and we're postponed until April I mean maybe and, and who knows what that's going to ultimately mean um, because you have to be in contact with other yeah people. you you so you maybe know, canceled sort of reality. yeah so it may be canceled so I'd say the individual sports will probably still see some see some movement. So I think this is really actually it's one of our means of socializing and and being well together. And but it's also which also means that it's subject to the discipline of social distancing. And that's um, something that you know this you know our bodies are the center of that of that experience, and and we. We're, so this is something else that we're going to feel. And I think we're going to feel it through the summer, at least, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit easier in the summer for because we can sort of keep our distance and what whatnot. But, <laughs> but we're also going to be having we're going to have the sort of cabin fever by that point, I think, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it's it's sort of dire. Like, I, I'm like, I actually I'm so happy to, to have it. you on, Dr. Benton. <laughs> 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 Thanks for all of these words of encouragement. No, I mean, <laughs> this is good to know. Like, I do think setting an expectation that's realistic is way healthier than just crossing our fingers and hoping it's next week or something. Right. And that's that's sort of like something I had to give up on a couple of weeks ago. And I realized that I was going to be at home with the kids trying to figure out what we were going to do in those exercise breaks um, between like reading, writing and writing and doing our own thing. So yes, absolutely. Damn it. I really wanted to be, (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to be uplifting and hopeful. (laughs) No, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners find you on the internet? So Twitter is my Twitter handle is ethnography 911. Perfect. Ethnographic emergency. I love it. That's great. um, Occasionally I blog at the same same kind of address, ethnography911.org. And I can speak from personal experience that following you is a good choice for people to make, especially in this moment in time. So thank Uh, you again, Dr. Adia Benton, for being on Burn It All Down. Thank you so much. All right. Moving on to a topic that's a little bit lighter and brighter, maybe, <laughs> if we can keep it that way. <laughs> um, NFL free agency. Shireen, you want to you wanna walk us through that a bit? Absolutely. Hello, flamethrowers. Hold on to your hats, hijabs, and whatever else, because we're going to talk about NFL free agency from someone, myself, who does not love the NFL or care. So let's go. NFL free agency, we are three weeks in to this. 
Now, the biggest news you might have heard is Tom Brady is going from the Pats, and we'll cry about that later, but we'll get into that a little bit more. Also, I'm she's not, not, crying, she's not about crying about this. this. Also, Cam Newton. I'm sorry, I confused. <laughs> Cam Newton's leaving the Panthers. I think Linz <laughs> might cry about that. But like I said, we'll get into it. Although the NFL season is actually over, it's not usual off-season business anymore because this is absolutely the sport has been affected by COVID-19. Due to travel bans and distant socializing, usual clubs can't actually meet with potential players and doctors can't do routine physicals or uh, uh, that they would normally do. So this means that there are free agents out there who remain unsigned at this time that would normally not be. But there are a few good things happening, and I'm going to go through them depending on which side and which team you root for. So bear with me, friends, as we go through this list, and I make a couple of notes myself. Um, personal opinions, obviously. First, Tom Brady got two-year $50 million deal. He's leaving the New England Patriots and going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this is great for Tom Brady, but that's pretty much who it's for. I mean, that's pretty much the only person who it's good for. New England doesn't come out great on this, but more on that in a little bit. Tampa Bay definitely does. He actually joins this team with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are two Pro Bowl receivers. So that's pretty good because he hasn't had a lot of luck in that passing department to other people. So who else benefits from this is the AFC opens up. So this entire division and the NFL. And this is really funny. I didn't realize that Tom Brady is nicknamed as TB12. It sounds like a substitution of the virus, in my opinion. But anyways, TB12, it opens it up when he leaves. So the AFC and the New England Pats specifically have had 17 titles since 2001. So I like it when sports open up and other people can share in the prize. But that's just me. Number three, I mean, we never want them to be accused of being like the UConn women's basketball team, now would we? So number three, Teddy Bridgewater. So he's going to the Carolina Panthers by way of New Orleans. And this is exciting, you know, for the Panthers, I guess, and Teddy Bridgewater, who's making a shitload of money. When I was prepping for this segment, I could not believe the salaries. Wow. Also, number four, Darius Slay, who's from Detroit. He's going from Detroit, sorry, to Philly three-year, $50 million extension. So this is pretty incredible, and he's going from the Eagles. And Slay is one of the three defensive backs to go to the Pro Bowl in the last three years, so this is a big deal. Five, Detroit Lions have nine picks in the upcoming draft, which is very important. And, you know, Mike Patricia has his work cut out for him, so he's, he's the coach, has a lot to do. But yeah, for the Lions, because Detroit needs some love, and I hope that's going to come in the form of this. So... I think there's a lot of other things happening. Nick Foles is going to the Bears. He's been a starting quarterback four years before, and this is a big deal. Now, you know, everyone needs a quarterback from what I understand. Of all this, have you noticed I have not talked about Colin Kaepernick? Because man's not getting hired. But we've got so many segments and opinions on that, all which lead to the burn pile because of the systems of suppression and anti-blackness that exist. Now, losers, LA Rams, not a lot of money, and basically they're not doing great. Like, this is just my summary. Now, they've got key defensive players, Dante Fowler Jr., Corey Littleton, Michael Brookers, Clay Matthews, Mitchell Roby Coleman, but key defensive players don't have a place necessarily and are getting shifted all over. Three, and I, I was, I don't think I was listening to them before, but in my head I was. Melvin Gordon held out for a Extension contract despite missing preseason camp and four games of the season. So it didn't work out for him. Still unsigned. 
Now, don't know how to pronounce this properly, and at this point, I really don't give a shit if I don't. Jameis Winston, uh, who was replaced by Brady to the Bucks, So, first QB in Super Bowl era to lead the NFL in passing yards and play for a different team the following season. You're like, what the fuck? Like, how could it get so bad? Well, hold on to your hats because it gets worse. So, there was this article by Brad Gagnon of Bleacher's Report, March 21st, 2020, just a couple days ago. And the title of this was, why doesn't anyone want him? Uh, maybe because he's an abuser. He was given a three-game suspension in 2018 for assaulting an Uber driver. Maybe. What I love about this is Brad Gagnon did not mention any of this in his piece. Yes, folks, football writers are literally talking about him without mentioning this at all. How can you do this? Oh, I don't know, because you're a fucking sports writer. Anyway, there's rumors about him going to the Pats or the horrible Washington team with a racist name that I won't mention. Um, he may never land a job. Do I care? No. Here's a mug for all my tears. Now, to wrap this up <laughs> really, really quickly, I'm just going to tell you all that who is coming out in front. It's There's a, some predictions from the New York Post. I can't believe I'm quoting the Post. But Buccaneers will come out on top because of Tom Brady. Down at the bottom of the list, and I'm not going to go through all two, 32 teams. The Rams are at the bottom. Championship window is closed. They get an F. You know what? Just hire Colin Kaepernick somebody. What's wrong with y'all? That's my roundup. Wow. It takes a global pandemic and all other sports getting canceled, but Shireen reached up on the NFL. That was was the most joy I've had all week. That was amazing. It was perfect. Yeah. I have so much time to prep you all. You have no idea. You can tell Clearly. Oh, God. Okay. Well, it's in this case to our benefit. Yes. Lynn? Oh, no. I can't. I just, I'm still recovering. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I need a minute. I need a minute. Well, that's hard to follow up. I will say the NFL agency this year, free agency, has been really interesting because it really is kind of the only sports news that we have going on. So as a fan of sport I've enjoyed it like thinking about the future and when sports will return and the impact of all these moves on the next season of football even though I don't really watch it anymore but it's also just weird hearing about it I mean there is this you know there's this weird thing in the timeline on Twitter where you're watching people be fired and furloughed and all these sorts of things around COVID-19 at the same time that you're also reading about million multi-million dollar contracts not that those you know I firmly believe those players deserve all that money it's just such a strange contrast in the world and so like it's something fun to talk about but then I feel bad about it and I wanted to point out that Jenny Ventress at SI has a really good column about this uh, and she made some really good points about uh, the fact that NFL free agency moving forward is not great in in a lot of ways that um, if they push With this, it's going to pull team employees, players, agents away from their families and communities at a time that they should be at home. That players are going to be, here I'll just quote her, quote, players will be asked to make life-changing job-related decisions during a period when many are managing all kinds of other stressors. And then she said, more broadly, it's dangerous for a sports league to set a business-as-usual precedent regarding something that is neither urgent nor essential when doctors and officials are urging Americans not to proceed with business-as-usual. So I say all that because I do feel weird about it. But I also want to mention that Bill (laughs) O'Brien at the Texans is like 
because here in Texas, this is just huge news. He traded away DeAndre Hopkins, which... For a ham sandwich. Yeah, for nothing. For nothing. And it's... For people who don't follow the NFL, Shereen, this is a huge deal. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best offensive players in the country. He's certainly a huge part of the Houston Texans offense itself. Uh, Deshaun Watson's a very good quarterback, but a good quarterback needs good wide receivers. And now Hopkins is gone. And I just want to quote my friend Dan Solomon. He wrote about this for Texas Monthly. And he said, quote, in seven seasons, Hopkins was already one of the greatest players the Texans had ever seen, a likely future Hall of Famer who has years of greatness ahead. And Dan makes this really good point that the Texans are a newish team, that one of the things they're trying to do is to build the fan base is like you need great players, like you need to keep them around and create this history around these players. There's not really a lot to hang your fandom on in Houston. So it doesn't make sense for what's happening on the field. It doesn't make sense what's happening off the field. So Bill O'Brien, what the hell are you doing? Mm. Amira? Yeah, I just wanted to pick up that point about Hopkins because one of the things that came out in the wake of this ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous move um, was a lot of shock faces and, and Michael Irving relaying a story where, you know, DeAndre basically talked to him about some beef that he had simmering with um, Bill O'Brien. He talked about how Bill O'Brien called him into his office and basically said, that he's never had to have a meeting like this with a player over issues of behavior since he met with Aaron Hernandez when they were both in New England, which is appalling to link anybody to who somebody who's like actually um, was a murderer. Like it's not, first of all, just don't just like stop. But then he did not, he kept going. He also talked about how he was concerned about DeAndre's quote unquote baby mamas, which is, of course, racially coded language. He has two kids by two women. You know who does that also? Matt Leinhart, Tom Brady, a million other white dudes in the NFL who are never going to be called in to talk about their baby mamas. Like this, it's just bullshit. While DeAndre Hopkins wrote a tweet not denying the story, but seeking to kind of temper it and move on and pivot to focus on his new team, multiple other former Texan players came out and basically said, this is not surprising at all. This is, quote, who Bill Ryan is. Jalen Strong talked about how he didn't like him because he was, quote, a product of my environment. And he actually sat him in decreased playing time. Uh, you had people who came on record and said how they got into it with Bill Ryan after his son was born because he missed training camp for two days and was called into the office to say he didn't know if he could handle family in football. And the way that he needed to prove it was to show upset emotions in the face of being critiqued in this way. Mind you, this is somebody who, when he was in New England, Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer nicknamed him Teapot because he was notoriously known for having a bad temper. You remember that one video of him um, and Tom Brady like screaming at each other on the sidelines. This is somebody who has a long history of being criticized by players for how he runs the ship. And we're talking about a franchise that but three years ago, when then owner Bob McNair was still alive, said he didn't, quote, want the inmates running the prisons in the wake of um, people kneeling during in support of Colin Kaepernick and against other comments made by ownership. 
And in this iteration of the Texans, the keys have really been turned over to O'Brien. So certainly this is not a story as much as Hopkins and others might want it to kind of tamper and go away. But I think a lot of people are going to keep their eye on Bill O'Brien moving forward. Lens? Yeah, I am uh, having a tough time. I've been a Carolina Panthers diehard fan since uh, 1996. It was their second year of existence, their first year playing in Charlotte, started going to games. I've been a fan through the 1-15 in season, fifteen, and that was 15 straight losses, mind you. I've rooted for lots of bad teams, and I do not like being a fair weather fan. Like, fandom is important to me, especially now that I cover so many sports. I really don't get to experience kind of like pure fandom that often. And the Panthers have remained that one part. But the fact the way they have kicked Cam Newton basically out the door is almost impossible to stomach. And I'm having a really hard time with it. He is by far my favorite player uh, in franchise history. He dealt with so much shit from the Charlotte community, a lot of racism, um, uh, just a lot of awfulness. And he's, he's pure joy. Like watching him play is pure joy. His entire being is pure joy. And I just, I'm really sad. Like I, I'm going to miss watching him play. I'm mad at management. And also, you know, they've also kicked Eric Reed out the door too, who, which it just makes absolutely no sense. So I'm grappling with fandom and with where I go from here. I do love Teddy Bridgewater and I've always rooted for him from afar and I'm, I'm glad that he's the Panthers quarterback and that probably will help me a little bit, but I think it's it's tough. Like, when do you draw the line as a fan? For me, you know, domestic violence and violence against women um, situations have always been that's where the line is drawn. You know, every team is going to make shitty personnel decisions. But I think it's really hard when you feel like your favorite player was run out of town for not respectable reasons. And when the organization is trying to paint it like it was his mutual decision and Cam Newton comes out and is like, no, this was not a mutual decision. So I'm sad right now. I'm grieving. I will root for Cam Newton wherever he goes. I will probably remain a Panthers fan, but I think it's still a little bit to be determined how that fandom is going to look going forward for me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's a weird time. And Amira, I, I want to ask you something similar. I feel like that's, you know, a bridge to asking you something about <laughs> about TB. Yeah, so it was really funny. <laughs> I woke up the morning that it was announced and my phone, like, I panicked because I thought something happened to somebody because my phone was blowing up and everybody was like, are you Okay. And I was like, I'm awake. What are you talking about? And then I found out. And it really made me feel like, damn, I appreciate everybody checking on me. But like, apparently, I've been living my life in this like crazy way that I was like so concerned. It was really like quite a mirror anyways. Amir, you can't watch. You like hide behind things during games. Of course we were worried about you. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like revealing. Anyways. Yeah, no, you know, I I had actually expected this and I thought it was time. 
And for me, a kind of trade towards the end of his career was better than whatever messiness was going to happen if like down the road. Um, and honestly, the hardest part was just calling my mom. Um, and, and that's because, and, and I've discussed this before, when we talk about rooting interest and we talked about what we were raised on, embedded in that is familial ties. It's friendships, it's the memories, it's the nostalgia, it's who you grew up cheering and rooting with. For me, it's not about necessarily who we were rooting for, it's who I was cheering and watching the games with. And since I was a kid, that was my family. Um, and we've had a amazing 20 year run that, you know, quite frankly, we all know I'm, I've been spoiled as a New England sports fan. Um, and it was the hardest thing was calling my mom and saying, you know, this is the end of an era because for us, right, it's not even the recent years. It's me being in middle school, coming back from a tournament, listening to the radio when Brady, who, you know, was just a game manager at that point came in went out with a broken ankle at, or a sprained ankle in the middle of the run to the first Super Bowl. And, and Drew Bledsoe comes in and like, <laughs> like on one leg, like hobbled, still, still gets us through that playoff game. It's, you know, just watching this ragabond team of kind of nothing that had many terrible seasons in the early 2000s just turn into a juggernaut that everybody loves the hate in the middle of our eyes. I can't describe to you how surreal the last two decades have been. I was 11 when this run started. And I won't recount our dominance for mm-hmm. you. Shereen did a good chance of that. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I will. No, it's since, not. You know, since <laughs> no, I was not, nine, no, since no, 1992. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just know, you know, know. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss us out of the AFC East. I'm really interested as just like um, a, a mindy person to see what happens with um, how, how Belichick handles this. But I will just kind of like to end on the note that like, wow that happened, a lot of the free agency moves with the Patriots that actually stung me had nothing to do with Tom Brady. I'm really sad to see Danny Shelton and Deron Hammond leave. Both are joining the Lions um, under Matt Patricia there. Deron was part of this core kind of Rutgers group. We did retain Devin McCourtney. We still have the McCourtney twins. But we also lost Kyle Van Noy, who held a very special part of my heart as a Patriot fan. He was a fellow transracial adoptee. And as a great adoption from Foster Care Foundation, um, he's joining the Miami Dolphins, which is like ugh, annoying because I have to see him twice a year in that uniform. Um, and so those are the things that have flown under the radar in the wake of that. But other people are being uprooted. Other teammates are being mourned in the locker room. I really hate free agencies because I have attachment issues. But I, I just have to say thank you for checking with me. I'm okay. I'm with Jess, it feels kind of weird to have this happening in this moment. But I would have to say that it was, I thought it was time. Yeah. Speaking of the burn pile, it's time for everybody's favorite segment where we take all the garbage in sports or garbage related to sports this week (laughs) onto a metaphorical burn pile and set it aflame. All right, Linz, you want to start us off? Yes, absolutely. I'd like to talk about Kelly Loeffler, who is the co-owner of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream. And as we have discussed in Burn It All Down before, 
also the newest Republican senator <laughs> uh, in the U.S. Congress. So this week, this is actually not sports related, but it is sports related since she's the Atlanta Dream co-owner. So this week, it was reported by the Daily Beast that Leffler sold off seven figures worth of stock holdings in the days and weeks after a private all-senators meeting about the coronavirus. She first reported uh, the sale of stock jointly owned by her and her husband on January 24th, the very day that her committee, the Senate Health Committee, hosted a private all-senators briefing about the coronavirus. The first, she had a total of 29 stock transactions over a few-week period after this time, all but two of which were sales. One of Leffler's two purchases was stock in Citrix, a technology company that offers teleworking software, which has seen a small bump in its stock price since Leffler bought it as a result of the coronavirus-induced market turmoil. To make matters even worse, she was helping the GOP and Trump spread the message throughout February that the coronavirus was not a big deal and that everything was going to be fine. Um, On February 28th, she tweeted, Democrats have dangerously and intentionally misled the American people on coronavirus readiness. Here's the truth. Trump and his administration are doing a great job working to keep America healthy and safe. And then on March 10th, she tweeted, concerned about coronavirus? Remember this, the consumer is strong, the economy is strong, and jobs are growing, which puts us in the best economic position to tackle COVID-19 and keep America safe. As she was doing this, she was offloading her stocks, and I would like to burn that shit to the ground. Burn. Burn. And go to jail. Yeah. Also, also that. Okay. Shireen, you're up. Thanks. This made me very mad, and it will be of no surprise to any of you when you hear why. Also, a trigger warning for racialized and colonial violence. Um, I read a story at the end. It was posted early March, but it hadn't been burned yet, and so I want to burn it, and there's always, always time. There's no statute of limitations on burning things. I read a piece by a journalist named Alicia Dros, and just respect to her for the way she wrote this piece and shared it because I've seen these type of stories shared so badly. Rhonda Knight is a 17-year-old hockey player who's Mi'kmaq, um, and she is center and is the captain of the Hans East Rural High School team, came third at Provincials this year. She's a phenomenal hockey player. But something happened at the tournament that actually made her want to consider quitting the sport altogether. After the game and they lost, she went back to the bench to see if she'd left her stick. And she was walking back. She touched her hair and she noticed something. There was a bunch of hair in her hands. Somebody cut her hair while she was walking. Somebody actually cut her hair. And for those of you, those of you that understand what braided hair and the symbolism and the significance of it in Mi'kmaq culture is. It's incredibly violating and just remnants of this brutal past in residential schools and the way that their culture was torn away from them when this happened. She said, Knight has said, and I'm quoting the article, said she was devastated. She says she's proud of her long hair and hasn't cut it in four years. She's part of the Indian Brook First Nation and her hair is an important part of our Mi'kmaq culture. 
there's something she said that really stuck with me. It said, my hair gives me strength. Our hair, hair, it connects us to the earth, end quote. And I just, I was so upset to see this. I was so angry. And this type of violence is absolutely unacceptable on any level. But this type, we saw it with Andrew Johnson, the wrestler that we talked about last year. We've seen it multiple times, hearing about it. This is absolutely brutal. And it's violence, make no mistake about it. They're not sure who it's who who's actually done this. The other team apologized, but I just wanted to bring to this to everyone's attention. And J.H. Gillis, the high school, you know, that has somebody who's accused of doing this, they haven't said anything other than offer a random apology. Now, I just I want to burn all of that. At the same time, like I said, Alicia Dross, thank you for sharing the story and reporting on this in a very important way that centers her. Knight's experience because this is the most important what Rhonda Knight felt and experience is the most important but I want to burn this to the ground burn 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 Jess so I have the what's not honor distinction of doing USA Gymnastics again they're back so on March 18th Orange County Register's Scott M. Reed reported on USA Gymnastics expenditures for February, which they had to file with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court. According to Reed, USAG spent $1.78 million in February. And now I'm just going to quote him. Quote, of that $1.78 million, USA Gymnastics spent $900 on Safe Sport the organization's program to educate and raise awareness about sexual and physical abuse within the sport and investigate predatory and abusive individuals. In other words, USA Gymnastics spent a fraction of a percentage point of its total budget on safe sport in February. So just to be clear, I said that right. It's 900 whole dollars. Okay, so Reed goes on to say that it's worse than just February, though that is stark. In fact, for the first 14 full months since USA Gymnastics filed for Chapter 11, so that's from January 19th to February 2020, quote, less than 3% of all USA Gymnastics expenses were spent on safe sport. As a comparison, USAJ, USAG spent 10 times as much money on legal expenses as they did on safe sport. They spent $700,000 more on marketing and communications media expenses than they did on safe sport. That last stat about how more money has been put into marketing than the actual implementation of the program to combat sexual violence is particularly terrible because part of what USAG has been doing on its public face is constantly reiterating its commitment to safe sport. That's an important part of their ongoing PR campaign to combat sexual violence in the wake of Larry Nasser. And based on these dollar amounts, it's only a PR effort. Shameful stuff, and I want to burn it. Burn. 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 Amira. Yeah, (laughs) I'm still burning the IOC because (laughs) they are, despite so many reasons, just continuing to try to proceed uh, with the Olympics, again, set to open on July 24th, followed by the Paralympics on August 25th of this summer. Right now, if you remember, I feel like I burned or somebody burned the lighting of the torch. Now that torch is on its way. We're not even just talking about canceling the Olympics. They're still doing a four-month relay (laughs) of the damn torch. 
Um, cool. <laughs> particularly because of how much money Coca-Cola and Toyota have invested in publicizing this relay, despite the fact that they now can't do a relay through crowds of people. So they're just trying to do this tradition with like no audience, but like filming it. The whole thing is just irritating. This, this is occurring as multiple people um, athletes in particular are starting to raise their voice and push back on the IOC who are saying, hey, we can't train. How do we qualify? Qualifiers are canceled. We're scared about our health. Here are all the issues that we're worried about. It's been met on ears that are just like not listening at all. Haley Wickenheiser, uh, Canadian hockey great and current IOC member, broke with um, Bach this week and said, I think the IOC insisting on this move with such conviction is insensitive and irresponsible given the state of humanity. Well, yes, it is. But the thing that really had me absolutely enraged this week is in one of these ceremonies, (laughs) as the Greek Federation handed it off to the Japanese Federation, uh, a speech was made. A speech featuring IOC member and Greek official Spiros Kaprolos. If you remember, he also, in 2012, was linked to black market ticket sales of the London Olympics and just seven years later was nominated to the IOC. Anyways, this dude gets up on a dais to give a raging speech about how we all are coming together and hope will lead our way and we have to proceed with the Olympics. And he says, quote, let us hope that the Olympic flame, symbol of peace and solidarity, will extinguish the virus and defeat it. What? 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 (laughs) The IOC is reaching new levels of their belief in themselves and what the Olympics can and cannot do. There is literally no word in the sentence that is a real thing. A symbol of peace and solidarity? Bitch, where? What do you mean the Olympic flame is going to extinguish the virus? Like, hi, you sound Trumpian. That's not how any of this works. The Olympic flame is not going to extinguish the coronavirus and defeat it. And clinging to this false hope and proceeding as if July 24th is going to be magically cured and everybody's going to be well is so asinine. I cannot even stand it. Just burn, burn it all down. I have a rejoinder to that. I have a part two of that burn on the IOC. And this is really rare on burn it all down that we actually have like a personal sort of stake in our burns. But this is one that I feel really strongly about. There's a person, his name is one Mr. Michael R. Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, who has decided to attack friend of the show, but also, you know, general public intellectual on the IOC, um, Dr. Jules Boykoff. And this is not an isolated case. This is a way in which the IOC and FIFA police, academics, and just generally journalists and anyone who makes all of the cogent points that Amira just made and that Jules made in a recent New York Times op-ed that he wrote on March 18th. And in that, he argued that amidst this global pandemic, the IOC just needed to cancel or at the very least postpone. And, you know, he makes all kinds of very sane and reasonable points, particularly when juxtaposed to the idea that the Olympic flame will extinguish the coronavirus, (laughs) which is just like medieval thinking, right? I mean, we're going to like, first, we're going to like put, you know, leeches on you and and bleed you out and then we will burn you with the the flame. (laughs) 
I mean, that's like what I picture is like this sort of medieval torture chamber of doctors. So Dr. Boykoff, we should just say, is a professor of politics and government, and he is the department chair at Pacific University. And in response to that, Mr. Michael Payne, who works in marketing and television for the IOC, wrote, quote, a remarkably uninformed and biased op-ed from an academic who claims to study the Olympics says postponement would be difficult, but not a single word why. And just just a pause here, parentheses, the entire thing is why. Only talk cancellation, totally off base with zero understanding of real dynamics and a disservice to world's athletes. Okay? That was the quote, and this is what they do. And this is from someone, this is me, who has had a cease and desist from FIFA several times for articles that I didn't even get paid for. So this is how they work. But also, hey, Mr. Payne, Jules is a former Olympian and professional soccer player, asshat. So like if you're and and he doesn't claim to study the Olympics, he has books and research and Fulbrights and has dedicated his life to social justice in the Olympics. So I want to burn the ways in which they come after people like this as if they're biased who's biased you work for the fucking IOC (laughs) are you kidding and secondly I would just like to say friend of the show Jules Boykoff is ethically impeccable and earnest don't don't mess with that don't mess with Jules we will find you (laughs) <laughs> we will find you and we have found you and your remarkably uninformed attack on Dr. Jules Boykoff, former Olympian. So that's it. I want to burn. Burn. After all that burning, we would like to celebrate the remarkable accomplishments of women in our Badass Women of the Week segment, which is going to be pared down <laughs> compared to our usual list, not because there aren't women doing amazing things, but simply because there are less sports than usual. Sad face. First of all, congratulations to Melbourne City FC, who clinched their fourth title in the Westfield W League in Australia. Congrats to Australian rules football legend Melissa Hickey, captain of the Geelong Cats Club team, who announced her retirement from the sport. We wish her the best. Kiana Scott has been named the Erie Ot- by the Erie Otters as a Bantam Scout and is the first female scout in the Ontario Hockey League. Also, shout outs to Sue Bird and Megan Rapino for not only entertaining folks on Instagram with a mini TV show, but joining with Shea Serrano to, de- to donate money to those impacted and struggling with bills in the midst of COVID-19. Can I get an earnest drum roll? I don't. Badass Woman of the Week goes to all of the women out there showing up to give out free meals at schools, working in healthcare, taking care of sick loved ones, washing their children's hands all day, reporting on this pandemic, working agriculturally so we can have food, driving buses, and everything else that you all are doing out there. Congratulations to you and all of us for just getting by right now. And finally, in these dark times, we'd like to talk a little bit about what's good in our world. 
I'm going to start off, um, which is sadly a short, very, very short thing, because I am totally self-isolated, for those of you who don't know, in a giant house. Uh, and so just two things. One, Messi's workout, which was sent to me by Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay, for thinking of me for all Messi content. The hilarious thing about them is they're not inspiring. They're not particularly good. His kids are wobbling around. And that's just the best thing in the world because BN Sports tries to make it like, chong, chong, work out with Messi. And it's like, oh, wow, I, I could do this. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't that hard. Actually, like, he's so normal. So it's hilarious how they try to, you know, market this as some like big deal. And that's been giving me life because his little boys are running around and like messing with him as they do. And then the second thing has just been like all the people checking in and doing house party, um, including Burn It All Down's group hangouts and my brother and sister um, who got me to play trivia and Pictionary with them on the house party app, not to promote that app or anything, but just, it was awesome. Amira. Yeah. Um, so I want to shout out the uh, New York city department of health memo that they've now taken down, but I still want to shout it out. Um, a lot of people have maybe been wondering what to do with sex and the Corona disease. <laughs> Uh, the coronavirus. This is a really great memo. I really love it. Check out the screenshots if you have questions or our friend uh, Stephen Thrasher has a great mm -hmm. thread about this right now. But just like quick highlights. Uh, the first thing they start with is, you know, <laughs> the best the best uh, sex partner to have is yourself during uh, COVID-19, <laughs> which I think is really great. You are your safest sex partner, they write. Masturbation will not spread this, um, especially if you wash your hand in any sex toys with soaps and water for at least 20 seconds. They go on to talk about ways that it could potentially spread, um, ways to take care during sex. What I really, um, they talk a lot about rimming for all of those who really need to know about that. Um, but also what I really enjoy is how great their language use is in this. They not only note that if you usually, they say, if you usually meet your sex partners online or make a living by having sex, consider taking a break from in-person dates, but they don't stop there. They offer alternatives. They say video dates, sexting, chat rooms may be better options for continuing making your living by having sex at this moment. Well, that also reduces points of contact. So I, I really am appreciative of this memo and I wanted to direct anybody's attention to it should anybody have similar questions. I've already shouted out Club Quarantine. That really was a place of joy and light. I also want to shout out just kindness that I am seeing. Um, little things as well as big things. As we know, my husband's a creative and his gigs have been all postponed through the summer. And little things like a local improv troupe in town hitting him up to say, hey, can we pay you now that work for work you'll do in six months, eight months, whatever, we're out of this. Little things like that have, have been so heartwarming. And of course, virtual happy hours, not only with my bad family, with my colleagues, with my friends, we're playing games, we're sparkling, we're just talking, we're digitally cheering. And for me, someone who craves social connection in that way, it's, it's been literally sustaining. So that's my what's good. Jess? Yeah, for the first time in a long time, social media is what's good. <laughs> I can't remember the last time that I enjoyed Twitter this much. I've actually, on purpose, logging into Facebook. I There are a couple things I wanted to point out. Um, there is a, 
uh, sports announcer named Nick Heath. He's British. He is at Nick Heath Sport on Twitter, and he's been doing live life commentary. So he's like filming just regular life and <laughs> providing sports like commentary on top of it. And oh, it good. is so good, so joyful, so well done. He's hashtagging them life commentary and live commentary. But again, it's Nick Heath Sport. Just go scroll his timeline. I've really enjoyed all the live music online. My friend Mobley did a thing on YouTube and Instagram from his studio at home the other day. He's in self-isolation right now or self-quarantine because he had been traveling in the middle of all this. I know Shereen's going to mention the Indigo Girls. That was lovely. Um, Lucius and Courtney Barnett were part of this series that Willie Nelson, he was supposed to host all these people at a live concert here in Austin for South by Southwest. And instead, they all did it from their living rooms. But Lucius sang with Courtney Barnett in Australia. I guess they were in Australia. And it was just so beautiful. Uh, So I've just really enjoyed the internet, which is not a thing that I have said in just so long. And I just wanted to mention Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. The first three episodes are up. It is so well done. I listened to the book earlier this year. It's by Celeste Ng. It's really good. And what they're doing with the show, they're adding a lot to it. It's the same story, but not. All the beats are there, the big plot twists, all that sort of stuff. But one of the two main characters is played by Carrie Washington, a black woman and it was not a black character in the book. And so they're doing a lot with that. And I just have really, really enjoyed that. Shereen? Thanks. Like just said, the Indigo Girls digital in-house concert was amazing. I absolutely love them. And last time I saw them was Lilith Fair in 97. So like this was wild for me. Um, Amy Ray and Amy Sailors, if you don't know them. And Amy killed on the mandolin. She just was slain. And then Emily was wearing a Lizzo tee and they talked about so many things. They talked about first responders and staff and frontline workers. It was just, it was really beautiful. And there was at one point 57,000 people watching on Facebook live. And it was, the comments were so uplifting. It was really beautiful. They sang a variety of songs. Everybody sang along. The only thing was, is that when they finished and we were, I think I was clapping and crying it was just, it was a really beautiful moment and I needed that tremendously. I also started watching Self Made, the series on Netflix starting Octavia Spencer. And I'm watching it with my boys. And initially I was like, hey, come watch this series that LeBron executive produced. So like, yeah. And they all thought it was about basketball. Wrong. About the first black <laughs> entrepreneur or something millionaire in American history. It was amazing. They love it. So we're going to spread it out. There's only four episodes. So we're going to spread it out one every night. It, they loved it. So it was great historical context. I love Octavia Spencer. I'm playing a lot of board games. I'm merciless with my children. I destroyed them in Pictionary. I have no regrets. I'm doing six-week fitness challenge with Zara Alibay, um, a woman, a fitness expert at the Fit Nest, and she's from Toronto. I love it. I'm not as regular as I'd like to be. Last thing I just want to say, I saw this tweet, and for everybody out there that's missing a place of spiritual worship, I come from a community where social gatherings and spiritual gatherings are a huge part of our faith and worship and not going to mosques and churches and synagogues and gurdwaras and mandirs can be really hard for people and whatever your temple is. And I get that. So those digital get togethers with Bayad family, with spiritual community, whatever, I just see you and just want to leave with the quote that Dr. Ingrid Mattson, a Muslim scholar wrote, she said, don't worry about the masjid. The angels are filling the rows. And that just really meant a lot to me because I miss those spaces. Lynn? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I do not have much. Yeah, it's a dark time, but uh, it's my dad's 70th birthday, and I want to wish him a happy 70th birthday. So happy 70th birthday, Dad. You better be social distancing. <laughs> Happy birthday, Lindsay. Happy dad. birthday, Dad. I'll be thinking about that as I wash my hands with the correct amount of time today. <laughs> I'll do two Lindsay's dad. That's it for this week and burn it all down. Though we're done for now, just a reminder that you can burn all day and night with our fabulous array of merchandise. <laughs> it feels so trite. But um, whatever makes you happy and gives you joy, we are at Teespring. And so look for those mugs and maybe our happy faces will cheer you up. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud but can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We do appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and rate and let us know what we should do differently or what we're doing well. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod and at Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. You can email us at Burn It All Down Pod at gmail.com and we'll probably get a really wonderful response from Shireen. You can check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, and there you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and links to our Patreon. And while I'm there, I want to thank our patrons for their generous support and remind flamethrowers about our Patreon campaign where you can contribute a little bit monthly, become an official patron, and in, support, in exchange for your support, you get special rewards and extra content. We are so grateful for our patrons and all of you for listening. So I'm Brenda Elsie. On behalf of all of the Burn It All Down crew, burn on and not out. And I suck you up and I spit you up.